What's going on guys? So today I really want to kick off a new kind of content that I want to bring to the podcast, to Instagram, to all my platforms really, and start to incorporate more of critical thinking, of philosophy into what I talk about, who I bring on, things like that, because I really believe as much as fitness and, you know, a lot, a lot of it ties to zero quit, mental strength and resilience, a lot of that is very kind of obvious, you know, when we see someone overcome something difficult, uh, when we see people practice consistency um, in their exercise regimen. But what I think leads to a lot of those results and really what leads to overall human life optimization, how we can really maximize our life, our routines, our habits, our productivity, all of that, and how we view the world is going to be dependent on our philosophy, how we view things, what our values are, etc. And along with this form of content, I'm going to obviously have the audio version available on all the platforms. But for those of you that want some visuals, because I will have different graphics, quotes, and things like that on the screen, you can find the video form here on Spotify or also on YouTube and my Instagram as well. Without further ado, let's hop into today's topic, which is why self-control is lacking in society and why these self-help books aren't really helping us at all. So today I want to talk about self-control and self-help because the past decade, there's just been this explosion in the industry of mindset gurus and growth experts and motivational speakers and they've garnered these huge audiences that are just absolutely captivated in what they're talking about. They get a lot of shares, different uh, quotes go viral and things like that, especially with the emergence of TikTok and Instagram Reels. Yet, with all these self-help books and new podcasts and Instagram posts that tell you how to be more productive and master your mind and become overly disciplined in your life, why are so many of us still lacking that discipline? Why are so many of us unable to stick to our diet or exercise like we want to? Why are we just mindlessly scrolling through Instagram when we know the act of doing that isn't doing us any good? Why are some tedious tasks like brushing our teeth so easy for us to commit to, but when it comes to more difficult endeavors that we want to achieve, whether it be you know reading a book as a habit or working extra hours on our side hustle, why are we unable to stick to it? Now, before we attempt to answer those questions, I think it's important for us to first define our terms and define the definition of what we deem as valuable or beneficial for us. Why do we look at some of these habits and, and forms of productivity and say that those are important and of value to us? And I think if we lean on objectivist philosophy, we can get a better concrete description of our values and how this leads to our decision-making process. So as human beings, we set ourselves apart from animals and other species for our capacity for consciousness and rational thought. So we use rational thought, logic, and our observations of the environment around us, and we leverage that to make more purposeful, meaningful decisions in the actions we perform. However, the key point about this is that consciousness is an option. It's not always engaged when we make certain decisions. A lot of times, I'm sure you experience this, you're driving on the interstate, you're on autopilot. You know, you're not actually consciously thinking about everything you're doing while you're driving that car. 
And the same goes for if you're grabbing food off the shelf at a grocery store or the different routines we establish in our lives. We're not always focused and using our full capacity for reason in the decisions that we make. Ayn Rand describes this when she states that man's particular distinction from all other living species is the fact that his consciousness is volitional. So without active engagement of our consciousness and our mind, our rational thought can easily be overridden by our desires, our feelings, or certain emotional states. So now let's get back to defining our values. Rand goes on to talk about how man's ultimate value or his standard of value is his life. So in simplest terms, does this decision further or enhance my well-being or does it deteriorate and destroy my well-being? Spinoza also shared a similar emphasis on reason as it pertains to man's actions, stating, he alone is free who lives with free consent under the entire guidance of reason. We can look at reason as our tool and well-being as our end goal with the choices that we make, and then we can now start to investigate the decision-making process itself. Now, every decision that we make requires a means and an end. The means is going to be the actual doing of the activity. It's the doing from the choice that you make. Now, the end is the end result, basically. It's what, what you get out of making that choice or committing that act. Now, the means can either be pleasant or it can be unpleasant, and the end can be the same way. It's either good for you or it's bad for you. So as a really simple example, let's say we're hungry, right? Well, the means to satiate our feeling of hunger is going to be eating. So eating is the actual means, and then that feeling of satiation from the food is our end. Now, whether that means of eating was pleasant or unpleasant is going to depend on your preference and the taste of the food, whereas the end is going to depend on the nutrients or quality of that food, how it digested, how it felt in your body. So to expand on this idea and really broaden the scope of its use, I created this Punnett square I'll throw on the screen that I think really breaks down what occurs in the vast majority of the decisions and situations we find ourselves in. So looking at this graphic, you'll notice I got the means at the top, the ends on the side, and I don't want to harp on this graphic too long, but mainly I want to point out a few simple observations. So if the actual activity is pleasant, and then what we get out of the activity, the end result is pleasant, you're going to make that decision that seems like a no-brainer. Now, if it's unpleasant, so it's like a painful experience to do it, and then it's actually bad for us, it's an easy decision. Again, we're not going to make that choice. Now, where the point of contention relies is the mix and the crossroad of pleasant and unpleasant. So it's at this crossroad where I think self-control lives. It's at this point where we have to actually engage our mind, make a meaningful decision to make the best choice for our overall long-term well-being. So, for example, if we look at smoking as an addiction, right? If you ask the average smoker, they enjoy it, okay? So we can look at the means and say it's a pleasant means. It's a pleasant experience for them while they're doing it. But we know the long-term health repercussions of smoking, i.e. cancer, disease, things like that, are not good. So we can clearly, reasonably define the end as negative, as unpleasant, okay? So we have this crossroads, like I said, where we have a pleasant experience, and we have an unpleasant end. So how does someone practice self-control to say, no, I'm not going to do that? The problem, too, with smoking, and this could apply to other addictions and other scenarios as well, is the end isn't always obvious. It isn't always present. And the same could go for eating dessert, right? You eat that first dessert, you're fine. You're not going to you know, be 300 pounds plus or 
have a heart disease from one dessert, from one bad choice, from one smoke. What happens is because those long-term consequences are so far from the person's mind, from their realization of what they're doing, it's much easier to fixate on the means, to fixate on the short-term pleasure rather than the long-term well-being and rational choice to not smoke, to eat healthy, right? So now let's look at the other scenario as well where there is a crossroads. Now it's at this crossroads that I think requires a greater level of self-control, but if you're able to really assess the situation and take away the lesson from it, I think you're really gonna be able to maximize your habits, your life, and your control over your own decision-making. So let's say for example, there's a bank teller, okay? And he works a 40-hour work week every week. His boss comes up to him and he says, hey, you can take this optional weekend shift on Saturday and make some extra money each month. It's optional. You're not gonna get fired or have any consequences for not taking it, but if you wanna work it, you can work it. Now, here's the scenario that is difficult, right? Because working the extra hours, let's, let's assume he doesn't love his job as a bank teller. It's not his sole purpose in life, okay? The act of working those additional hours that are unnecessary are gonna be unpleasant for him. So we got the unpleasant means, okay? But then the end is gonna be additional income, a bigger paycheck, right? So we got unpleasant means, positive or pleasant end. Now, the reason this bank teller may not decide to take this option, the reason he's gonna choose against something that would further his well-being, further his uh, life down the, in the long term, is gonna be because there's no repercussions if he doesn't act on it. There's no negative consequence, he's not gonna get fired if he doesn't act upon it. So you have two options. Don't take it and you don't have to experience any unpleasantness, or take it, you're gonna to have to withstand some unpleasantness for long-term gain, long-term positivity. So essentially it's a missed opportunity to earn more or further his long-term well-being, but it's not a decline or deterioration in his current well-being. So there's no obvious negative consequences there. Whereas you contrast that to if he didn't show up at his regular work hours, there would be consequences. He would be fired, he would have some kind of repercussions for not showing up at work. And this actually falls along the same uh, square in that Punnett square of if he chooses to not show up to work, that would be pleasant, but there are unpleasant consequences for it. So that also requires a level of self-control in deciding if that's worth it. And this is why most of the population doesn't deliberate or think twice about going to work. It doesn't require a level of self-discipline or self-control because there are obvious negative consequences of not going to work. It's disincentivized by the potential of being fired or losing your income. So we make the rational decision to show up for work no matter what. So to tie this to a clear, concise proposition, I believe it's easier for us to make a decision that prevents regression or deterioration, i.e. losing your job, gaining body fat, but it's more difficult for us to make the choice to add something valuable in our lives or to further our well-being when it requires unpleasant means. One example would be rigorous exercise. To just maintain bodily function, general health, you don't need rigorous exercise. You really only need about three workouts that are you know, roughly 30 minutes in length a week. Now, by implementing a more rigorous, intense, which would be unpleasant means, exercise program, you're able to reap greater rewards, transform your body, et cetera, et cetera, which would be 
a positive and pleasant end. The breaking point for self-control and discipline lies within our perception of necessity. Productivity, work ethic, strong discipline isn't a requirement to maintain your life, to sustain your general well-being. Performing unpleasant means for positive progression is not a requirement for life. In fact, much of the population essentially lives on autopilot. They go through life like a zombie, letting culture, society, their friends and family dictate all of their decisions. They let their desires, their emotions dictate what decisions and habits they create in their life. And the only time they actually pursue unpleasant actions is when it's a requirement to prevent suffering and pain in their life. Now, those who actively engage their mind, actively engage rational thought, are able to decipher when it's necessary to withstand unpleasant means for the purpose of long-term gains in their life. Unlocking mastery in your life and strengthening your self-control doesn't require a 3 a.m. alarm clock. It doesn't require cold showers or daily meditation unless you happen to enjoy those tasks. Self-control is not improved through meaningless suffering, but by utilizing our reason and our knowledge. Reason is our superpower that we can leverage to will ourselves past discomfort in order to obtain the end result we desire. Rather than focusing on the short-term immediate experience of pain or pleasure, you should fixate on the long-term sustained reward that you'll obtain by overcoming temporary unpleasant experiences. This newly heightened sense that you're in control of your decisions will enable you to push past and overcome unpleasant experiences to gain the long-term benefits you desire in life. With this understanding, I think it's way more practical for self-help gurus and books to focus on the rationality behind making these decisions and overcoming unpleasantness rather than you know, using the virality of extreme discomfort to push sales or push uh, more viewership towards their products. Practicing self-discipline is a virtue, but meaningless suffering just for the sense of superiority to others is just simply irrational. So when looking to live an active, intentional life, we shouldn't be looking to quick tricks or hacks from different books and motivational speakers. We should be looking to our reason to make a rational decision on whether waking up at 3 a.m. is good for you, whether there's actually a good reason to do it, or whether you're just suffering meaninglessly. This will allow us to choose the habits that actually aid in our life and our well-being and our happiness, rather than just suffering for the sake of suffering. Self-help books and motivational speeches can guide you, but at bottom, reason and the belief that you're in control of your decisions are the true pathways to self-control and discipline. Now, if you like this video, please drop me a like down below, subscribe for more content like this, follow the podcast, and please share your thoughts down below. What do you think about reason? What do you think about discipline, self-control? What experiences can you share? Let me know in the comments below. I'd be happy to engage with you. I'll catch you guys in the next one.